Paul, you have had many gems so far on this podcast, and one of them is something that you mentioned in a previous episode that I have thought a lot about since. You said, when power is hoarded, chaos ensues. I mean, you do not see power as being limited and it is shared equally. That is how to avoid chaos and everyone is better off. So let's dig into that more because you can imagine a skeptical white man out there somewhere who might be thinking in the back of his mind, well, why would I want to break down these systems if the current system does benefit me? So today let's discuss how not only is that untrue, but if that's the mentality, chaos will ensue. This is The Modern White Man, the podcast where myself, Paul Johnson, and me, Ken Lawrence, discuss how to be a modern white man who is anti-racist, anti-sexist, and understands his role in creating an equitable society. At the end of episode 9, we mentioned having a follow-up conversation on rage, violence, and ways we're seeing that perpetuated far too often in our communities and society. And we're still working on that one. It's coming, and we think it'll be a good conversation. But in the meantime, in this episode, we want to discuss how this work benefits everyone. A sort of check-in reminder of how this is important for the collective good. Because if there is anything that history has confirmed, it is that statement. When power is hoarded, chaos ensues. I mean, look at all the empires, kingdoms, governments that have failed. You can essentially boil every single one down to that fact. It's because power was hoarded. People were suppressed. And the people who were suppressed were the majority of the population who had had enough. You know, you think about the American Revolution. We talked about that. But you know what's even better example of that is the French Revolution. The French Revolution was the French monarchy and nobles and elite They were so pampered and they lived such a luxurious life. And then you had everyone else and it turned into just a bloodbath. Like all the people that were suppressed, the commoners, they straight up beheaded like everybody in the elite class, including the king and queen. So, I mean, look at the French Revolution if you want to see chaos ensuing when power is hoarded. Or watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, there you go. Or watch Game of Thrones. I had to stop because it was just, yeah. it was too much. Yeah. It's, 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 it was, that's, that's when power is hoarded. Yeah. That's that why was, monarchies that don't work. No, like, no. But also democracy won't, doesn't work either as we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, get if into democracy, if, if you don't do it right. It, exactly. Yep. So that is why it is essential for civilizations, including our democracy here in the United States, to not suppress particular groups, right? And what we learned so far in this podcast, if there's one thing, is that we have suppressed folks, Mm -hmm. right? And in this country, race and gender that aren't what society deem as white and male are suppressed in one way or another— We've really covered that in detail. And the clearest and most visceral and violent way is to people of color. And so to the question of today, in addition to the fact that clearly working towards treating each human being equally well is objectively the right thing to do, white men having power shared, white men being anti-racist and anti-sexist, working towards racial and gender equity, that benefits white men as well. So how does it? We are going to focus on a few different examples of how equity is beneficial for everyone. And 
Paul, you have to tell our listeners about the source that we primarily use for this. Yeah, Ben & Jerry's. The ice no cream. Doubt. The, yeah. yeah, we're talking about the ice cream company. Yep. If, if, if you don't know, they are one of the most, I think, as far as like big brands making a product that has nothing to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion, they are one of the most vocal. Not only calling out things like racism, but white supremacy. I think after George Floyd was murdered, they had one of the most impactful, bold statements. Um, out of everyone that I've seen. So they also have a podcast called Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America, where they basically break down like white supremacy and how we've, we've you know, it's kind of similar to what we're talking about. How did white supremacy come to come to exist today? But anyway, they, they have a great article that talked about this topic. So, so that being said, you can now, everyone listening right now can buy as much Ben and Jerry's yes. as you want without any guilt. You used to have guilt eating ice right? cream. No longer. Yeah, that guilt will not sit in you anymore. <laughs> the fat and the sugar will sit in you, no doubt. But it'll feel good. But but you don't need to feel guilty about it anymore. You can coexist. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also, it's just a really great example of how, what companies can do. Like, the no power doubt. that companies have. Like, they are an ice cream company, and they are tackling these things, have this really popular podcast. Hmm. They've been... I looked into them in, in even more detail. Like, they've been doing this <laughs> forever. Occupy Wall Street was a big thing for mm. that they got involved with. They were at the Capitol protesting different... Like, the environment stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, corporate social responsibility can be so impactful. Look at Ben & Jerry's no for doubt. like... Yeah, so they're awesome. And, and with the blog and article that they have with this they just like link to all these resources so that's mm-hmm. how we found a lot mm-hmm. of these great resources it's not just somebody at ben and jerry's writing their opinion like right. they have a lot of good stuff all right so so there are a few different ways of how equity is beneficial for everyone the number one thing that we're going to talk about is the economy equity is central to development you know when economic opportunities are not equally achievable or access to certain positions or careers are significantly more difficult for certain groups or identities, that impedes overall growth, poverty reduction, social cohesion, representation. You know, when you look at any stat that looks at countries' overall well-being, one of the most important indicators is the poverty rate. You know, no indicators like, how's the 1% richest bracket doing? You know, like, like Mm -hmm. it always looks at what is the poverty rate? What's the unemployment rate? That is what drives the economy. And also, we've talked a lot about the negative impacts of poverty with regards to crime, living conditions, underfunded school districts, and how that's not just an American thing. That's a world thing. Mm -hmm. Those who live in poverty, those things go up. So if we decrease poverty... We decrease the unemployment rate. That improves the entire economy. You know, there's even like a big study that was put out that the racial income gap alone costs the United States billions in economic productivity. So when anti-racist policies, and you and I define that, right? Those are any measures that produce or sustain racial equity between racial groups, When those are in place to create equitable economic opportunities, there's increased productivity across the board, increased spending, and better labor utilization. I mean, think about spending. Like, that is how this economy works. When people have money, disposable income, they're spending it on things. That gives that company and those employees more money. They then have more money to be able to spend on more things. I mean, when inequity exists, 
Taxpayer money also goes to federal economic assistance programs. So all you tax-loving people out there, like the more equity we have, the less we spend taxpayer money on those things. And we can invest in other areas. We can invest in the education system. We can invest in infrastructure. That improves all of our lives. Here's the thing that is really important. When equity is created in the workforce, that doesn't take away jobs. It adds jobs. You know, I I think a lot of white people still struggle with that. Like the idea that jobs are very finite. Mm -hmm. The types of jobs are very finite. Like if we allow everybody to have access to jobs, that means I'm going to lose my job. But instead of having all that power and jobs available to a few and concentrating that at the top, and less opportunity is created for others, chaos ensues, right? And if there's one thing you want to live in, you want to live in a country with a good economy. And the more people that do better economically, the better the economy. That disposable income flows, infrastructure is better, security is better, civility is better. Yeah, it, it makes sense when you say it like that. You know, I think it's just difficult, you know, talk about maybe an American culture thing, you know, the individualism of like, but I'm only looking out for myself, right? We, we just don't go to this place of looking for the collective interest of our, of our country. And so we don't look at the big picture. Yeah. Right. And also, I think, I don't know if you can call this American culture thing, but like this immediate gratification, like if we were to move this direction of creating more equitable society, that takes time. That could probably take generations, right? But people are like, well, if it doesn't benefit me now... Yeah. Then I don't want any part of it. Yeah. Like if this is something that's going to benefit four generations down the road, then I don't want a part of it. Like give me how is this going to help me now? So I think and we'll talk about it later like, you know, there's there's other ways that this benefits people right now in terms of humanity like outside of the economy and and GDP and all that stuff. Like there's there's other ways that investing in this is uh, beneficial for us as humans. Totally. And the second thing that we want to lay out here with why creating equity racial equity, gender equity is impactful for everyone is the education system. You invest in knowledge, you're thinking about the future. There is no better way to prepare for the future, to create an evolving society. Having an equitable education system that provides the same learning opportunities for everyone and the same level of safety and belonging for everyone to learn in the same way. I mean, I don't know if there is anything more important for a civilization. The more informed and knowledgeable a citizenry, the better off every single person is. And right now, our education system is not equitable. So that is truly how to advance and evolve a society, a really powerful way to do that. The more people that have access to education, the better ideas will be in every work scenario, no matter the industry. So if you think that links to economy, right? Mm -hmm. Higher education reform, for example, like you can be anti-racist in this space for sure. We talk about, you know, again, anti-racist, anti-racist policies. Higher education has become obscenely expensive. Mm -hmm. The way that the emissions work, it really is biased towards higher socioeconomic folks. Uh, more affluent school districts, right? This is a big way, the education system, to be an anti-racist and work on equity. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I think a clear indicator of that being true is that you have a number of organizations, namely a lot of nonprofits, even locally, that are working to help, quote-unquote, non-traditional students get into college. Mm -hmm. Like, when you have to create a nonprofit to solve a problem, you know there's inequity there, right? Like, yeah. 
you know, you have these organizations that work with you know, mostly the students they serve are pe- of color. There's immigrants, first generation, and they're doing everything they can to help them get into college. And then there's the question of even when they get into college, will they be successful? Yeah. Because like you said, these systems are set up to support mainly white, male, affluent, you know, you go down the list. And, and then, you know, if, if some of these students fail, you know, it, it's it's seen as like they weren't ready. Yeah. They weren't college ready. Yeah. Or they didn't have what it takes. Mm-hmm. Right. And and this is sort of, I mentioned that the word gaslighting back in the day, yeah. the, the earlier episode. Like this is another one of those gaslighting examples that, that perpetuates this, even a racist idea, you know, that, that students of color aren't college material. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's this form of gaslighting because the systems, the colleges, they're not equitable. They're not set up to support everyone. And so if someone doesn't make it, if they fail, if they don't graduate, and again, back to this individualistic culture, it's their fault. Yeah. Right. When it's the actual system that was the failure. Yeah. You know, there are so many pretty like heartbreaking stories of these nonprofits that you're talking about that provide scholarships Mm -hmm. for underrepresented students, students of color, lower socioeconomic statuses, which is great. Like, I love the idea of these scholarships. Mm -hmm. And you hear these stories of students who are super high achieving, intelligent, motivated. You know, they might be at a high school that is predominantly students of color and they really thrived. They receive a full ride scholarship. They go to college and they drop out mm-hmm. after a year. Mm-hmm. Like full ride. It's not mm-hmm. even about the money. So yep. the, the point that you bring up is such yep. a good one about the importance of creating equitable environments where everybody can bring their authentic selves to school every day. They don't have to focus on survival mm-hmm. or fitting in, but they focus on their studies. They focus on learning. They focus on the social aspect and that whole idea of being able to, to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And right now, higher education specifically aren't super safe spaces for everybody. I went to a private four-year university in St. Paul that was predominantly white. I graduated many years ago. Now I'm getting up there in in age. But uh, three or four years ago, someone wrote Mm. N-word on the door of a dormitory door. Mm. If there isn't a wake-up call, and it was a wake-up call for the university... Mm. Of, 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 the, of what these environments are like. Like this was in like 2019 mm-hmm. or something like that. Like I always think of stories like this is like, oh, that's the Jim Crow era, right? Like, right. no, like this is happening today. Yeah. And if we want to be able to provide education to everyone, then we have to change the actual environments and, and, yeah. and how we can ensure people can thrive. Yeah. And we know like statistically speaking, higher education leads to more income, mm-hmm. right? So this is a pathway to greater wealth, to greater sustainability for people who are, have historically been marginalized into into poverty, right? This is a quote-unquote golden ticket for some people to get into a place, not, not to like gain major wealth, but at least get to a place where, you know, there's th- there's that threshold of like, I think it's like 70 grand a year is like mm-hmm. the threshold of like, if you get to 70,000, you're happy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. After that, the happiness mm. levels don't really go up. Mm. But there's significant differences in like well-being and, and happiness less than 70000 In fact, there's a there's a company. I forget the name of the company right now, but the owner pays everyone 70000 period, across the board. Um, it's uh, You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's a yogurt company. 
Is it really? Yes. A yogurt? It's, uh, See, well, it, yo- it's, it's, I'm uh, telling you, the, da- the dairy <laughs> the industry. The dairy industry. This is where equity is, where is it's at. at. <laughs> it's Chobani, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Really? I, I think so. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, e- either way. So the point is, you know, th- this is a clear access to financial security. What do you want to call it? Yeah. Which again, you you laid out is like better is good for everyone. But yeah. yet there's still these barriers that people, micro to macro, micro of literally is these signs on people's doors, macro to these these racist policies that are part of higher institutions that keep people from getting there. And it's speaking to this larger issue of hoarding power, hoarding wealth, yeah. hoarding resources. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea of like being able to thrive in, in education, and, and we're, we talked about higher education, but also even you know in high school and in middle school yeah. and these schools that are underfunded. But what's really important too is representation in teachers. Yeah, and I, I was just at an event. The speaker was the executive director of Black Men Teach, and mm. talked about the importance of students being able to see themselves in the teachers. Mm. And the Brown versus the Board of Education was a monumental event in the history of the United States, which allowed desegregation of schools. But one of the very negative impacts of that was it minimized jobs for teachers and all the black teachers are the ones Mm -hmm. that lost their jobs. Hmm. And then you have black and brown students in these white taught classes and the white teachers valued the white students more. Mm. They were quicker yeah. to penalize black and brown students. And that has yeah. continued to this day. Yeah. And then think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, my favorite pyramid in the world, because it just makes so much sense. Like if you're over in sur- the Egyptian pyramids. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Because okay. Maslow's taught me a lot more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because if you are in survival mode at all times, you are not going to be able to mm-hmm. move up and you're not going to be able mm-hmm. to explore what do I want to do with my life? You know, how can I, you know, you're, you're just stuck in survival yeah. mode. Right. Cause like what, what you're just talking about the importance of knowledge and education. What, what good is knowledge and education if you don't have the essential things for survival? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like cause totally. you know, the top of that is self-actualization, which is that point when we can really dig into like that knowledge and that, you know, education and like how that can transform us and make us come alive. But yeah. Yeah, if you are if you are stuck at survival mode, you can't even access no. that. Yeah. You're exactly right. All right, the third thing that we're going to talk about, criminal justice system. Oof. Yeah, big one. Like this is a I mean, you could you could talk about this for for days and days and days, of course. And of course, the the disproportions in the criminal justice system are devastating for communities of color, most specifically black men. It's biased, it's unfair system. That results in mass incarceration. And when you think about this, like this impacts everyone as well. I mean, it's a system where, of course, there's like the, yeah, you're ruining people's lives by biases and having these, uh, this mass incarceration. And it's also a system where fees and fines wind up essentially criminalizing poverty. Mm-hmm. The bail system keeps people in jail, not because they're guilty, but because they can't afford to pay bail. It chooses what and who to penalize in an inequitable and inconsistent way. It keeps ex-felons from voting, which suppresses the voice of the people. It just it results in a massive prison system, and it's financially destructive and unsustainable mm-hmm. for all of mm-hmm. us. Like we're mm-hmm. all connected to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, dramatically reducing incarceration and recidivism 
which nicely done. That's a tough word. It is. I, I had to look you it up. Nailed I'm, it. I'm gonna be honest. I had to you look must have been up. practicing that. I, I definitely. <laughs> You're waiting up. for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a. Here's our. Here, we'll toss in a little definition. Recidivism <laughs> is when someone is essentially brought to jail or prison more than once. Mm-hmm. Right. So so reducing recidivism rates, reducing incarceration in the first place. You can reinvest those funds elsewhere right. again. So in the education system, in infrastructure, you know, it works to our collective benefit. Yeah, the example I think about a recent example. I'm not. I'm not going to remember the city, but I just saw something pop up. It's a, it's a city near here in the in the Twin Cities metro that are now going to fine people for hanging out in the median of, of streets. So basically, oh, wow. they're going to fine panhandlers. God. So, so this is another one, you know, another one of the exa- examples of like this avoidance of investing in an individual like that, putting it into programs that will help that individual find work, even just, you know, f- uh, find financial sustainability to f- get education. Like instead of investing in those things, we, we invest time, resources, energy into just finding them money that they can't even afford to pay. And of course, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna justify it by saying, "Oh, it's it's dangerous. It's dangerous for people to be in the streets." So, you know, it's just another one of those examples of like, why do we avoid opportunities to help other people? Yeah, like you know, like yeah. like there's something around an avoidance of investing in other people. In this in this case, it's regardless of the race. I'm, I'm sure because poverty, homelessness affects black folks disproportionately. But either way, like it's. It's poverty, yeah. right? It's criminal, like you said, criminalizing poverty, and it's this avoidance of, of helping everyone do better, yeah. right? So rather than helping everyone do better by investing in housing and education and, and jobs, let's just throw more people in jail, yeah, which which just again, like you said, affects people like you and me. And then I think about we live in Minneapolis, and there have been many instances of many, many, many instances of police brutality, and a lot of times we don't even realize this, but there are major settlements. Yeah, right. For the, these incidents. Yeah. And we have to pay for those. Yeah. That is paid by the taxpayer when, when a police officer brutalizes or murders or any of those things. Like, th- that, is, that is expensive yeah. for, for, for other people like ourselves. But, but rather than getting to the root of the problem of, you know, police brutality and, and the history of policing and, and, and people of color, like, yeah. And, and like, think about the, the all the committee meetings that took place to ensure that that medium fine passed. Whereas, right. what else could they have been decided? Remember last exactly. episode, we were like, it's not a positive to walk around being angry all the time. Right. Like, getting angry every once in a while is good. Like, I'm angry right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard of that fine. Yeah. For those. Like, in the, like, what is the point of that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's it's this, it, it, it is perpetuating the poverty cycle Mm -hmm. what is like why do people feel the need to to somebody who is asking for money in the street to find them Mm -hmm. like who is that benefiting Mm -hmm. man that is it that's infuriating (laughs) my goodness Yeah, and it's you know it's a symptom. It's a symptom of white supremacy to keep us from humanizing other people. You know, dehumanization is a tool of white supremacy. And when I think about when I see a policy like that or a new law like that, 
is using that tool yeah. of dehumanizing another person. First of all, not only seeing them as less than, not worthy of, of help, not deserving of help, but also I think there's a dehumanization of not even wanting to feel connected to that person. Yeah. Right? Totally. That's part of dehumanization is like is disconnecting yourself from other people. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Because it's not only like First of all, there's probably a, a form of supremacy there, especially if they're a person of color, of like that that's a lesser human being. And then there's probably some sort of like, I don't even want to acknowledge what's going on there yeah. because like I don't want to feel responsible for the reason why that person is panhandling. Yeah. And I don't wanna I don't want to take on the responsibility and all the work that it takes to solve that problem. Yeah. So let's just do the quote unquote easy fix and basically get them out of our sight. Yes. Right? Like exactly. that's I mean that's essentially what that is. That's and that's what, what happens it it, when like there's the Super Bowl or any sort of, you know, political thing, like let's clear out all the people out of the streets because we don't want to see that. Yeah, it, like it makes people feel uncomfortable to yeah. see that. And it's really you're right. It's like it's like just get them out of sight, right? Mm-hmm. It's making me feel uncomfortable as I drive home from work. Yeah. I think of immigration so much with that mm. when daca was under attack because in my mm-hmm. previous position at a nonprofit, i worked with tons of daca students and these kids are incredible these kids are some of the smartest most hardworking kids i've ever seen mm-hmm. they don't get they get no federal aid for going to college yeah. and they work they try to work their way like i think about that as a perfect example whenever i see people talking about like let's get rid of daca immigration it's like if you met any of mm-hmm. the anyone who falls into into these categories you don't because you can't humanize yeah. it right. like these are human beings you, you know you're just trying to totally disengage mm-hmm. and they're not like me and it's a it's very unhealthy mm-hmm. all right fourth and final one we'll talk about here um representation of voting why it's important to have equity with that, how that impacts everybody. You, you remember, Paul, all those voting suppression tactics that we talked about during the Reconstruction and Jim Crow eras meant to suppress the black vote? This is still so prevalent. Mm-hmm. And suppressing the voice of a group of people in a country is not good for anyone. I, I, I don't, I, I, to the day I die, from the day I heard about this to the day mm-hmm. I die, I will never understand why anyone could possibly think trying to make it difficult for people to vote is mm-hmm. a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'll never get it. Mm-hmm. Especially in a democracy. Like in that, a democracy. That is what it's all about. It, it is unbelievable yeah. that it's even possible to be considered. Yeah. This is, I think that this is the greatest direct example of when you hoard power, chaos ensues. Mm-hmm. Like this is legitimately you're mm-hmm. hoarding power and trying to keep it away from people. Yeah. But let's stop and just think about this. I mean, it's vital to have the most people as possible to vote and have representation so that the people represent the reality of the country. Let's say we suppress BIPOC folks from voting. Again, this is black, indigenous, people of color from voting. People who are running can run on a platform that only talks to the group that are going to vote. So if I was running, I could say, I know what white people want. People are going to feel disenfranchised and chaos will ensue. I mean, there's no better way to have chaos ensue than for people to feel disenfranchised. If equitable voting rights are in place, you can still win an election as a white man, for example, but it makes you run on a platform that speaks to everyone that is voting and is providing resources and services that meets the population's needs and are distributed accordingly. I mean, that is good for white people, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, democracy works best when it works for everyone. And if we suppress voices, it's not going to work very well. It's it is maddening a little bit 
Like, when you go through it, 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 isn't it, like, obviously we should have people's voices heard. Paul, can you answer that for for me? I always, I can't answer it. I mean, but the one thing I'll say is I do believe, for the most part, in in the saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I really think the missing element, so how we can sit here and say it's so obvious, and other, even well-intentioned white men, or anyone really, in power, it makes it so much more difficult for them because there is that dynamic of power. And I've never been in a position like that, so I don't know, at least at that level. Yeah. But I I think there's just something about power and having power that messes with people. Yeah. And I can't really put my finger on it. Yeah. I think it just really clouds people's judgment. Mm-hmm. I think when you have it, you you just it's a learned behavior, I think. Like when we have power, we protect it mm-hmm. and we and we need to control other people. It's something that we've learned intergenerationally. Yeah. That's really insightful. And I think yeah, it's easy for us when we're not in that position to say it's so obvious. And I don't know, maybe if we did get in that position, it still would be obvious and we right. would, you know, I I hope that would be for me, but mm-hmm. There's just something about, I think power just messes with people. Yeah. Especially when you're in a society where the systems are set up for power to be hoarded. Mm -hmm. So even if you want to not hoard power, the way systems are set up is is for power to be concentrated at the top. Mm -hmm. Like if you just think about any sort of like company. Yeah. Pretty much every company has a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. The system is set up for power to be concentrated at the top. So you literally, you have to be very diligent intentional if you were to go in a position to become a president ceo or whatever to break down that hierarchy and to share power mm-hmm. if you don't do anything about it by default power is concentrated at the top yeah and i think when that happens it messes with people yeah. i don't know i, no, I can't it's I, true i have no like i have no you know sophisticated way to yeah, say yeah. it other than like i think power messes with people well even if we go back to like episode one when we talk about yeah. the evolution of you know humanity, and we talked about this in the gender episodes too, where hunter gatherers and how how impactful evolution is, mm-hmm. there might be something there too, where mm. when we had to survive mm. for human beings, let's say I always say like ten thousand years, you know, roughly when like human beings have been around, mm. of what we might consider modern human beings is what five thousand, you know, mm. three thousand. Like we've been a, a, a around a long time yeah and a lot of that was just survival Mm -hmm. and needing to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and that's that idea of individualism and and the power of evolution is significant as Mm -hmm. i feel like we've laid out in a few different ways in our past discussions and that might be here too where yeah it's clear to us if everybody does well we all do well Mm -hmm. But you have to break out of that individualistic mindset. Yeah. And I feel like that is a very natural thing that we have to be intentional about breaking. I think it's a human being thing. I really do. But in the United States, it's almost like individualism is rewarded. Mm-hmm. And so people strive for it. Mm-hmm. And even if you think about the economy, for example, when we said, you know, yeah, let's create more jobs or more opportunities for people to have access to jobs, I could believe that. But in the back of my mind, it's like, is it going to take away my job? Mm-hmm. And it's right. just like a very human being quality. We have to see individualism as a big picture because if we do support everyone then it will be better for you but you have to then break down like thousands of years of of evolution almost yeah 
the other thing that America always claims is meritocracy. Mm. So meritocracy is the idea that positions in society and rewards that you can get should reflect differences in effort and ability based on fair competition. So essentially like kind of a complicated way to say meritocracy is the idea that if everybody works hard, everybody has an equal opportunity to succeed. That doesn't exist Mm -hmm. right now. But pulling from our aspirational discussions from last episode, is meritocracy something that we can aspire to? Can we can we put that on our aspiration list? Is it achievable if we work towards an equitable society and we we look at the four things that we just talked about? Can we get to a place where it's a true meritocracy? Is that something that we can aspire towards? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, you gave the example earlier of you know, immigrants or first generation you know, work their butts off, but they, but they don't quote unquote achieve the American dream because clearly, because there isn't a meritocracy, like clearly it's the system is set up to support some people and not others. And for us white men, that it's a, it's a wide highway to quote unquote the American dream for everyone else. It's a bumpy, dusty road, you know, narrow, narrow road. Right. So it's not equitable in that sense or equal by any means. You know what we should toss in here? Quick little definition. Ooh. So we love those definitions. Let's define equity and equality. Mm. So equity, we say that a lot. Yeah. We say let's create equity, equity, mm-hmm. equity. Mm-hmm. We never say equality. We do say equality sometimes, but there's a difference. There's mm-hmm. a reason that we say equity instead of equality. So equality generally refers to equal opportunity and the same levels of support for all segments of society. So that's essentially treating people without difference, right? That's mm-hmm. equality. Mm-hmm. Equity and why we say equity is different because it offers varying levels of support depending on the need to achieve greater fairness of outcomes. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially like equity is offering varying levels of support to create equality. And so like economic and social class advantages tend to accumulate and self-perpetuate. That's the poverty cycle. That's the generational wealth that can be wealthy cycle. So the poverty cycle without equity would continue to grow and widen over time. I think one of the clearest examples of equity is the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. Mm. So that, it went further than just prohibiting discrimination based on disability. It required employers to provide reasonable accommodations to employees with disabilities. It imposed accessibility requirements on public accommodations. And so you think about that, right? Like all the ramps that we see today to go to a building. This is like a perfect metaphor that you can see. Everybody has seen. If you have a disability and you're in a wheelchair, if there's a set of stairs to get into a building, you quite literally cannot enter the building. What the Americans with Disability Act did was required all places of work to have a way for someone with a disability who's in a wheelchair to enter that building. Mm -hmm. So they created ramps, right? So that's why ramps and elevators, those are all necessary things. It is creating something new so that people with disabilities can do the things that people without disabilities can do. Mm-hmm. That's what we mean when we create equity versus equality. Equality mm-hmm. is everybody has a set of stairs, mm-hmm. but it's not equal because people can't then get in the building who, who, who aren't physically able. Maternity leave is another thing that's like a huge, amazing advancement in the workplace mm-hmm. in the past, like only like two decades, decade really mm-hmm. with paternity leave too. You know, women had to decide at one point, if I'm going to have kids, I can't be at this job anymore. 
So we created maternity leave. That's an equitable system. So now women can have children take care of their child as you and I have seen with our, you know, our new babies, like that's a full-time job yep. in, in the first few weeks, particularly. That is an equitable thing that allows mm-hmm. women to retain their jobs. Lactation rooms, right? Mm-hmm. For women who are breastfeeding. Men don't need lactation rooms, but there's one segment that does. That's an equitable thing. So that's the difference. I always think of the image. Have you seen it where the fence, you're trying to watch a soccer game and there's three boxes Mm -hmm. and there's an adult and he's standing on a box and he can see and there's a little kid and he's trying to look over the fence and then there's someone on like a wheelchair and they can't see over the fence. The box Mm -hmm. does nothing. So instead, the adult stacks two boxes on top of each other so that the the -hmm. little kid can see over easily, and then you build up this little ramp. That requires three boxes Mm -hmm. so that the person in the wheelchair can see the game and everybody can see the game. Like, that's equity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And to add on to that, people have said the next step for that is to get rid of the fence altogether. Yes, exactly. There shouldn't even be a fence in the first place for people to have to look over, right? So that's, that's complete freedom. One thing I want to add to this as far as, you know, why would breaking down these systems benefit us? You made the case for the economy, for education system, criminal justice system, representation, voting. When I look at the United States as it is today and connecting it to hoarding power and hoarding resources and hoarding hoarding money, you know, we have a system today where there's, you know, 1% holds most of the wealth. But if you look at the country as a whole, like it clearly isn't working for everyone even for people in the 1%. Like, so, so, so if, if at the end of the day, the meaning of life is to be happy, healthy, to enjoy our time on this earth, like the current system we have is not working. Yeah. Right? Right. So it would even benefit the people in the 1% to create an equitable society for all, mentally, emotionally, and your own well-being. Because like, th- that's what I would propose. Yeah, you're right. Someone that makes $600,000 a year, let's say, which isn't even in the top 1% in this country, which is crazy. You don't make $600,000 and it's like every $50,000 you make is an increment in happiness or fulfillment. It it starts to like almost go in the opposite direction. There's like diminishing returns. The whole system is not making people happier. Is it almost like we've been trained to believe that we have to have this power and money and that's what makes us, you know, it's just instilled like this is what is going to make you happy but it doesn't right and if we were able to spread that i told that to, to Ghanaians all the time when i was in mm-hmm. the peace corps because they were like america's the best everybody has money everybody has opportunities y'all are you got it right i'm like listen like america's got problems like you all have mm-hmm. problems in fact the way you live life is like beautiful in many ways mm-hmm. compared to the way mm-hmm. the united states lives life like you, you don't think that because we have you what you consider to be like jobs for everyone which doesn't exist you think everybody has money in the united states which isn't true i can tell you one thing you are all as happy or happier than like my experiences with americans yeah it it is something that we've been bamboozled (laughs) it's the word you know like to believe that like money will bring us happiness and again there is truth to that right like again there's that threshold of seventy thousand. dollars. so there is definitely truth like yeah. I'm not I'm not sitting here saying like why aren't people in poverty happy like no there there is a threshold yeah. but after that like you said there is very insignificant changes in in happiness and you could argue that a lot of people even the more wealth they accumulate the unhappier they get but either way it's 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 a crapshoot like it does not matter 
the difference in happiness between 70,000 a year versus even 10 billion a year, like no, there's no difference. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and I think at the core, we are meant to be connected to other people. We are meant to want the best for other people. You know, there's tons of research in like, if you want to be happier then volunteer, give to people yeah. like that increases happiness, yeah. not more money. Right. It's being, it's being nice to other human yeah. beings. Right. Yeah. So imagine even if like sending a card to someone makes you happier, imagine like creating economic equity, like how much happiness that would bring. Totally. Right? Um, but we've, we've been, we've been believing a lie for so long, accumulate as much money and resources as you can, and that will bring happiness. And it's just not true. We've also been fed and believing the lie about race and yep. that race is this huge distinguishing factor when i look at all these things about creating equity it kind of boils down to socioeconomic class more than anything Mm -hmm. and it it's how can we diminish the poverty cycle how can we provide opportunities to everybody that don't have opportunities it's really socioeconomic Mm -hmm. class and i always think about the power if people realize that Mm -hmm. and people in power have been trying to make sure people don't realize that and have created race and created this divide between race when in reality if low socioeconomic white folks and low socioeconomic black and brown folks and everybody being suppressed Mm -hmm. by people holding the power it would be revolutionary Mm -hmm. and it would there was a party that was created at one point post-civil war the workers party whatever that that was that ideal and it just got squashed yep. by the people in power because people yep. are hoarding it yep. and people are trying to hold on to it. Chaos is going to ensue. We've mm-hmm. seen chaos ex- ensue. You and I live in Minneapolis. You don't think we've seen mm-hmm. chaos ensue in 2020 yep. because of all of these things. We've Inequities in the four areas, for yep. example, that we've talked about has created chaos mm-hmm. in Minneapolis mm-hmm. in 2020. Like yep. it is legitimately true. Yeah. And if the lower socioeconomic folks on both extremes of the political spectrum are like, you know what? I think we're all being a little bit right. bamboozled by people in power. Let's band together. That would be revolutionary. Yeah. But instead, it's like, no, no, let's let's uh, create a race divide and let's create a religion divide mm-hmm. and like a like a xenophobic divide. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's just, man, it it. I wish that I wish we could. I mean, I'm not calling for like a revolution or anything, but... <laughs> but I mean, that's the ironic thing, right? Yeah. Like the whole impetus for the American Revolution, the founding yeah. of this country, yeah. was like people are like, wait a minute, we're being bamboozled. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. I'm not represented. I am not represented. And I'm paying taxes. And, and there's a monarchy, there's someone hoarding power. Yeah. And this is sort of the idea of like trauma begets trauma or violence begets violence or like the oppressed become the oppressor. Like it's a perfect example of that. And I always find so much irony... When someone is all up in arms about rioting and, and the violence that ensued after George Floyd to say, like, why are you getting all upset about this? When I look back at the American Revolution, we're like, they started a war over being upset about an injustice. Yeah. And you're proud to be a part of a country that stood up to someone who's hoarding power and resources, right? And yet, 300 whatever years later, we, we created the exact system that we stood up against. Now, we could, of course, say, oh, well, it's different because it's not a monarchy. We're a democracy. Yeah. But the result's the same. Totally. Right? You're you know? hoarding power. Chaos is ensuing. Right. I mean, even as, yeah. I mean, we fought a second war, the Civil War. Right. It was about slavery, as we yeah. talked about. 
when you suppress enough folks in an inhumane way, yep. it chaos is going to ensue. Will, yeah, it there will, will be a breaking. It, yes. It's just inevitable. And we you see it throughout history, and it's and people are always, ah, oh, history repeats itself. Yeah, yeah. 100% it repeats yeah. itself. So, Paul, for all those white men out there listening, it is true that the more equity we create, it's not sacrificing anything in your life. It makes everyone's life better. And it's dangerous to hoard power and think that that's beneficial. Yeah, well, I I think it takes sacrifice. Yeah. Like, we'd be lying to say, like, if we're going to create an equitable society, you don't need to sacrifice anything. That's not true. There, there has to be some sort of sacrifice. And whether that's money or resources or it just might be power, but there's, there has to be some sort of sacrifice. Or it's like perceived sacrifice. You know what I mean? Because it, yeah, it that's makes good, your yeah. life better. Right, true. So like you think you're sacrificing yeah. something, but in reality you aren't. So it's almost like you have to get past the per- perception. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because sacrifice makes it feel like we're giving up something to make our lives worse. Yeah. But yeah, in reality, we're, we're giving up something to make our lives better. Right. Again, going back to white supremacy, like white supremacy wants us to feel disconnected to, from other people. Whereas the opposite, whatever you want to call it, the opposite of white supremacy is to feel deeper connection to people mm-hmm. and feel like their humanity is our humanity. And, 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 and empathy is important. Yeah. So to start dismantling white supremacy in that sense, it means to start seeing that, that someone else's humanity is our humanity, which, yes. which can be very uncomfortable, Yes. right? Yeah. But it is that part of the process of dismantling white supremacy, yeah. which is part of the work. And we'll keep working towards it. No doubt. Thank you for listening to The Modern White Man. Please follow us on Twitter at The Modern White Man for updates on new episodes, and please feel free to shoot us a note with questions or thoughts for future episodes. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share, both individually and on social media. That's how we get the most traction. After all, the more white men that have these conversations, the better.